So, we are talking about the flesh and the spirit, how they're interacting with each other. And like I, like I said, they, we've been. We, this is supposed to be a two-parter, and this this is kind of stuck around a little bit longer than I intended. But as we've been talking about, there's this there's this constant battle going on inside of us, where the Holy Spirit breathes new life into us. We had a whole series of, of discussions about that, but we still we still have this this old life, this corpse of the old life that we staple ourselves to and drag along with us. And there's whole sections in, in Romans where Paul talks about this, saying, there's what I want to do, and there's what I don't want to do, and I, I, I got this new nature, but I seem to be acting like my old nature, and I, I'm not sure why. I'm dragging this body of death along with me. So, we've been talking in these last couple of sessions about what is that sort of battle going on. When we looked at Romans 8, if you'll remember, we saw the Holy Spirit brought us adoption into God's family, right? We've been changed. We've been given new life, and it leads to life and peace, but following the flesh leads to sin and death, right? And Paul keeps bringing, and throughout Romans 8, keeps bringing it up as an either-or. It's this or this. One leads to life, one leads to death. One leads to joy, one leads to pain. One leads to, there's a new nature, there's the old nature. Either or. It can't be a both and. When we look at Ephesians 5, when we saw that when you follow the fleshly nature, um, it led to debauchery and self-destructive toxicity. Why was that? Why is it that, by definition, it, it just, it wants you, the, the end result of that kind of life leads to, not to being happy, but to debauchery, to, to self-destruction. Why is that? Because we tend to think, if I get free reign to whatever I feel like doing, I will end up happy. Right? If, if I eat food that I like, I will walk away from the table happy. If I watch movies that I enjoy, I will go to bed happy. If I, if I do stuff I like, I will be happy. If I take the drugs I want, I will be happy. Why does that lead to this empty debauchery? And we can make that argument from the beginning of Romans, right? That everybody was sculpted to be following God, and when we don't, it, it, we're, we're just not following the sculpt, and, and, it, and it, it, we're, we're broken and we break ourselves in that. What were you I saying? I say it's over. Once you take the drugs, it's done, and then you got to do it again. Once okay. you go somewhere, it's over, your experience is done. It's all this temporary fix, and if it's just to make you feel good, you will never feel better than you feel right at this moment. The most you can do is, is feel better, and then it's over, and now you have to feel better than you do at this moment again sometime. And if you're constantly looking for more than you have right now, you're in this constant battle of trying to improve your situation instead of trying to be an improved person, where you're content with your situation. Okay? When we looked at Galatians 5, the, the, the first chunk of Galatians 5, we saw that, that self-indulgence being the antithesis to genuine godly love. He's like, okay, you need to be loving one another because this self-indulgence, this idea of following the flesh, you're you're biting each other, you're devouring each other, and it's not going to end well. And so he's like, stop. Think about what you're doing and why you're doing it, right? Okay, we spent several weeks looking at this. Like I said, I want to make sure that I get to the end of this lesson because this is what things have been pointing to. What commonalities do you see in what Paul has been saying in these different letters, where you talk about Galatians or Ephesians or Romans, how would you synopsize what Paul has been saying about the relationship between the spirit and the flesh? Okay. Absolutely. What else? Stumble sometimes on where you're pointing. You are literally pointing towards one or the other. You're not a little, a little fleshy and a little weird. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you you may not be way over there in utter debauchery or way over here and being filled overflowing with the Holy Spirit, but you're pointing one of those directions. You're on one of those paths. What else? I think it's also been really nice how we've been looking at it because this is such a a stumbling block for me 
on that I know you don't just lose your salvation when you the first time you sin, but to understand you are literally stick you're you're on a path and you're going one direction, you're looking one direction, and you've been saved from the other. Right. And it's not a it's not a flipping flopping thing. Um, and I know it sounds kind of similar to what I said, but that's been something that I've struggled with for a while. And where you sin, like, what does that do to the relationship? And I think a lot of people tacitly struggle with that, even if they don't, if, if they've never put theology to it. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't see how God could possibly love me since I did this horrible thing or whatever. But I think Paul even bracketed some of what he was talking about. Remember, by starting by saying. There is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which puts a wonderful... <coughs> it actually helps you feel a little bit better, and he says that to smack you a little bit, because it's still that same argument that he said at the beginning of Romans, where he's like, you guys know better, what are you doing? So when he says, no, I'm not condemning you, I'm saying, stop it, what are you doing? That If you go, well, I'm going this direction, he's like, I'm not saying well, you've automatically lost everything. I'm saying, that's the dead thing. Why are you doing that? Over here is the spirit. Over here is life. Why, why? Live in that. This is what we're called to do. This is a new... I mean, I'm not even asking you to do things that are unnatural to you. This is your new nature. Do what is natural and feed that beast. Why are you holding on to this? Why am I, Paul says, why am I holding on to this? So let's unpack this a little bit in Romans 6 as a funky little teaching moment. Somebody do me a favor. Read Romans 6, 13. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Okay, so what are our two basic choices presented here? Offering parts of your body to sin, or offering them to the Lord. How each of those are going to use them. Yeah, I mean, those those are your options, right? You're going to be offering your body as an instrument of something. Right? So help me out here. What's the implicit third morally neutral choice? Look at it there and say, okay, you can either offer your, offer your bodies actively to sin, or you can offer your bodies actively to the Lord... What's implicitly the third choice? Oh, somebody else. People listening to the podcast are going to go, hey, there are only two people sitting in that room. So like we've talked about last week, there isn't a third choice. No, there isn't. There's no third choice. Why do we still live like there's some sort of third choice? Well, okay, yeah, there's the, well, you're a horrible sinner, or... You're, you're sold out to the Lord. Or you can just... Be, why do we why do we long for there to be a morally neutral third choice? Because we want to have both ways. How so? I'm just a little bit bad, so we're still kind of in the spirit, but still not making all the bad. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Christian. I, don't, I mean, I'm not a saint. You know, but it's not like I'm a horrible sinner. I don't, I don't have to be so perfect all the time. doesn't mean I'm a bad person or on the wrong path. What's the implicit problem with that? I mean, what? why do we feel that? Why do we go, well, it's not like I'm perfect, but I'm certainly not horrible, therefore I'm okay. Well, I think there's a couple of problems with that. If we live that way, one, then it's not as dire to be Christ. Um, and two, in the same lists yeah. usually when, yeah but we're like okay and I think that's where the lukewarm Christians go is that we don't do the bad things and we forget that God hates all sin and, and if you remember whether you're talking about Pharaoh where God says alright you're hardened I need you to be adamant or in Revelation where, where God's like you know I, 
I can't use lukewarm. I, I can use cold. I can even use hot. I can't use lukewarm. This idea of going, yeah, I'm just here. And that's okay, because I'm not perfect. It's like, we assume this perfect, this sainthood, this sinlessness, that's, that's one end of the spectrum, and this is the other end of the spectrum, which Paul presents that they are. And then we go, well, but since I'm not all the way over there, it's okay for me to be smack dab in the middle, because it's still all right. It's like, you know, but that's the direction you're supposed to be moving, and I don't care. Even Paul says, I'm not perfect yet. I haven't reached where I want to reach yet. But the trajectory is right. I just think a lot of times we get caught up in what a worldly standard is versus God saying, uh, I made a plumb line and here's where it's at. If we look at, again, pigs, Did you read ahead in Amos? <laughs> We're studying Amos and Smoker. Go ahead. Um, pick out some big name sinner that everyone in the world would recognize as immoral. If that's your standard, that's really easy to be better than that and still not be what the Lord wants. But if our focus is on what the Lord's standard is, then well, it changes and, your perspective. And the, and the flip side of that, if we go, we have everybody loves to look at Mother Teresa, and I actually got in trouble for saying Mother Teresa was flawed in the church history class when I was talking about, you know, she had her own issues. People, <gasps> Mother Teresa? Yeah, because she's human. But we love to be to build up these unrealistic perfections for the exact same reason. We build up this huge evil person and say, well, I'm nowhere near as bad as that, so I'm okay. And we build up this unrealistic, perfect person, and we go, well, I'll never be that. So, where I'm sitting is okay. And, and you're just like, well, shouldn't you... Hey, that person doesn't exist, but shouldn't you be moving in that general direction? You go, well, I'll never be that. So, whether I'm standing here, which isn't where I should be, or here, which isn't where I should be, or here, which isn't where I should be, at least I'm not over there. And so, neutral, I mean, you can't expect to be perfect. So neutral is still better than horrible. And we get into this mindset of, it's, it's, it's good enough. Somebody read me verse 14. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Okay. How do we live as slaves to sin, as our master, if all we're doing is being neutral? If all we're doing is if we just live, if we just live according to our fleshly senses, I mean, we're not, we're not going. Wahaha! I am sold out to evil. I, I'm not dressed in black. I mean, the lightsaber isn't red. I'm not horrible. Isn't that just the default setting for humanity to go? Yeah, just do what comes naturally. How is that being slaves to sinfulness? Well, when we do what just comes naturally, what comes naturally is. Uh, um, not even necessarily a malicious all the time, sense of selfishness and self-centeredness. You know, it's just not how to live. That is sinful nature. It is sinful nature, and, and you're absolutely right. How is it? Most people would say, but I'm not, I'm not a slave to sin. I'm just, it's just the default setting. I'm not consciously enslaved to sin. I'm not even thinking about slavery to sin. Sin is not dictating my actions. I'm just did my taxes. I just put my socks on. I'm, I'm not, I didn't put my socks on, sold out to sin. I didn't make a hamburger, sold out to sin. I just, just eating a hamburger. How is that still slavery to sin? Like I said, isn't that just the default setting for humanity? Can I compare it to like eating like what you Okay. So when we go ahead and say, okay, we can still do this, still watch this, or gossip, or whatever, we're in that flesh, it's not pulling us to the right way. So it's not the ideal, and it's not necessarily helping, but is it really being sold out to sin? Is it really being a slave? Help me out here. What did Jesus say was the default setting of humanity? If you remember that far back to, to John 3, or remember that far back in the notes? What did Jesus say in, in John 3.18 was the default setting for humanity? Well, 
for ourselves. I don't know if that's what he said. But yo, come out of the womb going. I walk. Well, when you come out of the womb, you just need things, and you don't know what other way to express it. So. No, I'm not. What I'm saying is, I, I agree. You come, by definition, I'm not saying. I'm just saying, by definition, we have to learn other orientation. We have to learn conscientiousness. We have to learn right behavior. We come out. Of, we come out of the womb going, I hurt. I don't know why. My belly hurts. I might be hungry, but I don't even have a thought of that. Just fix it. Somebody. I don't even have the concept that there's anybody out there to fix it, which is why I just go, yeah. Um, yes. So, so. We have to learn morality, for lack of a better term. We have to learn other orientation. We have to learn conscientiousness. Anybody that has taken this time to look up John 3.18, what does John 3.18 say? Okay. John 3.16 says there that God loved the world enough that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. John 3.18 says... They stand condemned already, right? The default setting for humanity that that uh, that Gary's looking at one verse and, and Mark looking at another verse, but the default setting for humanity is that that we don't look for the light, we don't want the light, and we stand condemned already. Right? We start off <laughs> condemned already. So we need salvation. So you sit there and you go, well, so you're either you either have new life in the spirit, adoption as children of God, and life. Or you stand condemned already, you have spiritual death. And what's the morally neutral third option there? The, the, there isn't one, right? Somebody read me Romans 6, 17 through 18. Seventeen. 17 through 18. You're skipping the purpose. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So what are our two basic options being presented here? Slaves to sin. Well, not slaves to righteousness, more like partners with righteousness, yes? And what's the implicit third morally neutral choice? Okay, I know. I can, people, why you beat a dead horse? I'm like, because we love to think that there's this implicit third morally neutral option. Paul says you are a slave. You serve sin. Your actions serve your belly. You serve your flesh. This is what you do. Or, because I'm not talking about you guys anymore because you've been set free from that, right? Only a goofball will actually drag that corpse along with you. You are now slaves to righteousness. You serve God. You you focus on this, right? And people go, oh, I'm not a slave to anything. Really? What do you do? I just do what comes naturally. Like what? Feed my belly. It's interesting that, I don't know if this is the original verb tense or not, um, in 14, um, in this particular translation, it says, so, so sin will not have dominion over you. So, um, it's kind of um, saying, hey, if you're not offering yourselves the members of your body, those instruments of unrighteousness, then sin will not have dominion over you. Right. Um, so, uh, it definitely feels like a very um, active, intentional thing, right? Like, it seems, the idea here, it seems like you could very much accidentally or unknowingly a slave to sin, but you can't accidentally put on Christ or accidentally like yeah. seek after him um, or um, be a slave <coughs> righteousness. I mean I think that's an astute observation, absolutely. Um, and 
I, I brought this up on Friday, but I think it's, it's still super applicable. Like, um, when when God gives the Ten Commandments and he says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery, out of the land of Egypt, right? So, don't have any other gods before me. It goes through the whole thing, right? And, and he's saying you have to, if you want to be free from sin, you have to do it on purpose. Here, let me let me break this down for you. Here's how this is this is the map. Yep. And then he gives them ten great ideas. <laughs> Not great ideas. <laughs> you were doing so well. He gives, he gives them. <laughs> no, no, you're absolutely. He gives them. He gives them ten paradigms. Exactly. A better better term to say. Look. You want to know how to intentionally not be slaves? Now, now you're not in Egypt anymore, but you will be. You will remain slaves if you don't intentionally go after these things. Exactly. That's that's what I meant to say. Absolutely. Joshua said, "Choose this day who you're going to serve, because you're going to serve somebody." It's for me and my house. You'll hear in the sermon in a little bit that Peter said that, that, that Jesus says, "Guys, you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve wealth. You're going to serve one of these two. Which are you going to serve? The idea of going, you're going to either do the temporal things of this place, or you're going to do the eternal things. But you're going to do one of those two. You're going to be sold out to one of those two at any given moment. Make a choice. So, absolutely. And, and when you link that to what we just got finished saying from John 3, is I think what you just said was incredibly astute, of saying the default to slide into is temporal, tangible, my belly, my stuff. You have to consciously say, wait, that's not the nature I've been given now. I'm a new creation in Christ. All right. Um, with the ten great ideas. Okay, except they are ten really good ideas. It's not just commandments, though they are absolute commandments. But they're also really good idea. How about you don't murder each other? You know, is that a commandment or a good idea? It's a commandment because it's a really good idea. All right. So how comfortable are you explaining to your friends or your colleagues or your neighbors or your children that there is no third choice? Because here's the thing, even if we sit there in Sunday school and go, there's no morally neutral third choice. Thus, Kevin has hot done this for weeks. I'm on it. You're right. The default is this. Or else we do this. I'm on it. You go, and how does the world appreciate that? Will you feel comfortable talking to somebody who is not a Christian and saying, or even teaching your children, you go, yep, there is no morally neutral third choice. You are either you are either enslaving yourself to sin or choosing to enslave yourself to Christ. And I, and I said, why is, that, why is that uncomfortable for us, and why is there no third choice? But we've already answered the second part, so why, why does it feel uncomfortable? It's uncomfortable to me because I know that the world loves this morally neutral third choice idea, and so there's always going to be blowback. It's no fun to know you're walking into blowback. What else? The whole concept of slavery is kind of uh, tacky, um, to say the least. A bad idea? Yeah. I mean, um, the 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 fact that like. Um, like just presenting, we just we don't tend to think about think about it that way. Like, hey, we we tend to think of ourselves as being all like self-determining individuals. Like we don't think about, oh, our constant state as created beings is to be a slave and. All the stuff that we have are just like things that we've been given as stewards, and nothing that we do is really outside like the purview of God's sovereignty. And we um, can't really find life or find you know eternal um, life apart from something completely outside of ourselves. Like like all of that is. Probably insulting to most people. Our like, entire country was founded on the idea that we don't belong to anybody and that we should get to do what we want. Well, and, 
and, and how that's extrapolated since then. It, all that kind of nuance is something I, you may have heard me say before, may not. Um, everything we do matters. And I say that, and people, people, yeah, well, that's, a, that's a PK thing. I think it's even up on the thing. But um, uh, everything we do matters. And, and, and people, yeah, I can see that. But no, no, everything. You had a sausage and egg biscuit this morning. Okay, let's pretend you have a sausage egg biscuit for you have a sausage biscuit. Let's say it that way. Is there a moral component to eating a sausage biscuit? Yes. Why well, do you say yes? Yes, there is. What? How so? So is that a healthy thing? Your body is a temple kind of thing. There's a, there's part of that. What else? How else is that a moral decision? Potentially, at least. She could have gotten rid of McDonald's and McDonald's is evil, so she's. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's pretend for a moment you want to argue that McDonald's is bad to its employees or something like that. You're propping up a McDonald's. Oh, I can't. I want to come back to actual, honest, serious answer. Is there a potentially moral question about whether or not you eat a sausage biscuit? Everything you do, you should do for the glory of God. And then in Timothy, there's the verse about all foods are created by Him and, and to give thanks. And, and it can be a choice to make it an act of worship or not. Are you, you don't have to, but there's a choice. That's right. There. Yeah, I'm, either, I'm either consciously saying, thank you, Lord, or I'm just feeding my belly. But also, let's say I'm going out to breakfast with my friend Mark, the Jewish guy, and I'm trying to reach him for Christ. And I just grab a sausage biscuit. Is there a moral choice to that? Have I undermined my own witness to to try to reach a brother that I want to be a brother because I felt like having sausage and I didn't care about anything but the fact that I felt like having sausage? Did Paul ever in any of his letters suggest that eating food or taking a drink, just the most mundane things you can think of, might have a moral component? I seem to remember something. You know, you sit down and eat that steak and have no problem with it until the moment they say, by the way, this was sacrificed to Zeus. At which point you go, okay, even if I knew it had been sacrificed to Zeus, I don't think there is a Zeus, so I don't care. It's just a piece of beef. The moment you tell me that it's important to you, that you think of this as something that honors Zeus with every bite, I have to push the steak away and say, I'm sorry, I can't do this now. Wendy and I couldn't go to her cousin's wedding because it was a Hindu wedding. And all the family members had to, as part of honoring the, the, the Hindus in the wedding, part of honoring the gods, had to make a small sacrifice to the god Ganesh as part of the, as part of the wedding service. So Wendy and I are like, we, we can't go. We can't, we, we love you, and I want nothing but the best for you, but we can't go to the wedding. There is a moral component to our even being at this wedding because all family members, we either don't do what every other family member is doing, which has a moral component, or we do do what everybody else is doing, and there's a moral component. So I don't care whether you're eating a sausage biscuit, or having a steak, or going to a wedding, or having a drink, there's a moral component to it. And that's uncomfortable for people, because most of the people in our world like to think it's not that big a deal. What? Anything. Much less, you know, the mundane things. And Christ says, Peter says, Paul says, specifically, everything you do matters. Everything you do, in everything you do, every word, every attitude, how you engage, how you disengage, how you conflict, how you don't do conflict, how you, how, what's the words you say, the stuff you refrain from saying, all this stuff matters. And we say, oh, it's overwhelming. You know, yes, if you see it as a plate filled with 10,000 decisions a day, each one you have to make correctly. But all of them seem to be presenting it as a plate with one decision. It's just one decision. It's one decision you make all day long. How does this honor Christ? Can you share a story from your own life? About how yeah, go ahead. I first really seriously started thinking about that. Um, I was in college I helped a woman out. She was she used to be a witch, but she became a believer. She was saved out witchcraft, and 
she wanted her son to go to summer camp and needed a ride, so I gave her son a ride and she had no place to stay because she had been an older soldier. She didn't have her son with her, she was kicked out. So I let her stay with me for a little while until her son got out of camp. And, and like she, she was asking, she would ask me things like, so Sarah, do you ask God what you should wear everything? And just like things like that, like do you really seriously consider this? And then I heard stories from her own life, like after she got saved, weird things would happen, like a picture would fly off a wall right at her, and if she wasn't, like, but she would know, like, the second beforehand that she needed to do something, and she didn't do it, then it would have hit her, but if she obeyed, it missed her, and, like, cars would come at her, and all kinds of, like, it saved her life just doing exactly what the Spirit said, no questions asked at any moment, because I guess the spirits that she used to work with were angry or something, and trying to kill her, and so she didn't listen every second and obey completely. She she would die a number of times. And there's a gazillion ways that we can react to that and go, oh, but but it comes down to um, the, 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 the Holy Spirit works in different ways with different people, what have you. But it comes down to she at least had an appreciation. I really need to take this seriously on a regular basis. That I really do. And, and we shouldn't take that legalistically. Like, God will punish you if you put on socks and forget to thank him for the socks when you do. Because even Paul, again, predicated all this, there's no longer any condemnation. I don't want to beat that too loudly, but I do want to remind us. This isn't legalistic. This is Paul more so going, well, why wouldn't you do that? Well, seriously, why, why wouldn't you try to seek God in, in these things? So, thank you very much. That is that is um, a very tangible way of expressing some of this. Somebody do me a favor, read verses 20. Through 23, Romans 6. When you were slaves to sin, you were freed from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So what are the two basic choices here? Live or die? How else would you summarize that? We're sold out to one and free from the other. We're sold out to the other and free from the first, right? How does that specifically echo some of the stuff we've been talking about throughout Romans 8, throughout any of this stuff? I mean, how, I'll just say, I mean, he keeps saying there's two choices. One leads to death, one leads to life. One leads to joy, one leads to pain. You, you, can, you can do this and enslave yourself here, but then that means you're free from this. It's like, I was sold out to sin. Then when you were sold out to sin, you know, pesky Ten Commandments, you didn't, you didn't worry too much about those. They're more like the ten good suggestions. And no, and I say that because, well, you didn't murder, but you were fine with committing adultery because it's not like it's murder. And you go, well, and that's the ten coincidences, right? You just happened not to have murdered anybody. Not, you didn't murder anybody because it was in the Ten Commandments because there were a couple of them you didn't care about at all. But then when you're sold out to righteousness, sin doesn't control you. Still do simple things. Yeah, why would you do that? And that Paul's whole argument: like, that's not my master anymore. So why am I acting like it is? Why do I? Why do I do that? I've got. I'm a new creation in Christ. That does not control me anymore. So why is it the last time I got in an argument, I called somebody a big fat cow, and I was indignant and I was cruel? Pretty sure that didn't honor Christ. Pretty sure that was slaving myself to sin. As a Christian, why would I do that? Because I was used to that. It comes naturally to me. The echoes of that are still there. Why do we still so often want to learn to say, well, it's not really God's ideal. I mean, the way I had that argument, the way I did that kind of stuff, sure, I mean, yeah, I'm not supposed to lust after, but, you know, look, it's free. I, it's why do I like the idea of going, well, it's not God's ideal. I'm going to 
since I'm doing a podcast here that the world will hear, I'll get myself in trouble. Uh, about a decade ago, I was talking to somebody even in our own denomination when the question of that the, the, the UMC is dealing with this weekend came up of do we embrace homosexuality as a valid Christian lifestyle or do we call it a sin? And I was talking to one of the leaders of our denomination. I said, so we have a statement on this. And he said, yeah. And I said, so homosexuality is a sin. And he said, well, I mean, it's, it's obviously not the biblical ideal that God gives us. Yeah, agreed. We're comfortable calling it a sin, right? Well, I would say it's not the biblical idea. Like, so you would not say it's a sin? Well, I just think that's a loaded word. Now, for the record, the official statement of the Covenant Church says, oh yeah, it's a sin. Yeah, so, right. But that leader couldn't get past, and he couldn't say sin. It's just not God's ideal. Why do we like to think that there are things that may not honor God, but they don't lead to spiritual necrosis. Because it's very clear in the Bible that the world thinks, um, the world doesn't understand us, they have failed, and so what they look at and what we look at, so here we have the control of righteousness, and then now uh, from the things that you that you were ashamed of. Well, the world doesn't look at as that they were ashamed when you say, hey, I can't do that because it doesn't honor God, the world looks at you as a nut and mm -hmm. an extremist. Mm -hmm. So when we look at the shame, we've got to make that decision. Is it shame that God looks at or the world looks at? So just like that guy you talked to. Actually, I can't add. That's perfect. About, he was too worried about what the you know, political correctness and all that. And he went so far to use the word sin. Mm -hmm what the world was going to think of him instead of that God would honor that. So what's the functional difference between a wage and a gift here? Why is it, why does he, he doesn't say the wages of sin is this, but the wages of, why is one a wage and one a gift? We earn one and the other was freely given to us. Possibly free to us. Free to us. Right. Um, so, yes. But technically, that's just restating this. Flush this out, people. How is it that one is what we've earned and one is what we're given? Because we can't earn the other one. Nope. And Paul's very clear about that over and over. Okay? So it has to be a gift. How do we earn the other one? How do we earn death? Well, the sin is our own. The righteousness is Christ. Yeah, we get the, I mean, uh, the slavery to, to sin, you know, we don't, we don't need any help with that. Right. <laughs> yeah. that we come up with that on our own, in our, in our own, like, that's, you know, the slavery to righteousness is something that has to come from outside of ourselves. Yes, and we've made a big to-do even today about the default setting for humanity, right? And yet, sin is still a choice you make, right? I mean, Adam and Eve had a choice. You have a choice. I have a choice. And we keep choosing to do the wrong path with things. And so, the rule, even back in Genesis, was you have, a, you have joy, paradise, life. Just don't do the thing I say don't do. I'm giving you the opportunity to mess this up. It's not entrapment. It's I just don't want puppets. I'm giving you the opportunity to mess this up. Don't mess this up. There's no reason to mess this up. You have all the trees in the garden. Just don't, don't deal with this one. Everything's cool. And they go, ooh, good tree. Much. And you're just like, we, we earn it, right? It's like, this is what happens if you do this. Okay, I'm doing that then this is what happens. If you do X, Y happens. Okay, I did X. You earned Y. Well, that's not fair. It's, it's, it's the definition of fair. I made it very clear, and I put big signs around it going, don't do X. X bad. X looks like an X. Don't do it. It's bad. Don't do it. I did X. All right, I will hand you Q. I will, you know, you, 
you chose to do X, you incurred Y, you earned it, I will hand you something else. How does that distinction affect how you perceive living according to the flesh versus living according to the spirit? Living according to the flesh, you earn death. Living according to the spirit, you're handed life. How does that, how does that nuance your understanding of what that means to live that out? I want to say I don't know why, but they're not perfect in our love of God. Nope. And so, uh, anyway, the more that we love God, the more that we, we do all those other things, it becomes something else. And the beauty of that is... Oh, absolutely. We're never going to be perfect for our love of God, but and I know this is a tritism, but understanding context, it's really not. Luckily, God's love for us is perfect. And so you sit there and you go, I'm never going to be good enough to earn perfection or earn salvation. You go, well, luckily, God's good enough that he handed that to you. It's like, well, positionally, he doesn't have sin on his ledger in our account. He sees this big bloody blot. And so we go, I earn, with every step that I go down this wrong path, I earn toxicity, I earn destruction, I earn. But I go, with every step I go down here, do I earn more accolades, I earn more? The closest you can come in scripture is, I earn more crowns in heaven. You're right. And we're told, what do they do with those crowns? Well, they fling them before God and say, nothing with a crown, worship. I'm just not putting a lot of stock in the, well, at least I get crowns in heaven thing. That's the wrong way of looking at it. You don't earn more and more of heaven. You don't earn more and more of God's love. You don't, no, that's handed to you. You earn death. So just sit there and go, wait, so every step of the way, if I am honoring God, that's a gift. It's a blessing. That I'm able to do that is a blessing. That I have the ability to do that is because of the blessing that I've been given. And all this I do not to earn anything, but because I've been given everything. Isn't that the argument that Paul makes in Ephesians? We're not saved by works, but we're saved to do good works, because that's what we're designed to do. Isn't that the argument that James uses? Oh, the works aren't going to save you, but if you don't actually live it out, I'm kind of wondering what you're trying to live out, because you're not doing the stuff you were sculpted to do. But in all these things, it's like, no, I'm not earning anything. I'm I'm living out what I've been handed as a gift. There's a joy to it, not an, not an urgency of, I'm I've got to do this or else. I've got to come back to the thing that you talking about. I'm not doing this or else. I'm doing this because I'm like, yay, praise God. I want to honor him. Now, if I go over here, there's or else's where I'm like, oh, this isn't going to be good. But I don't do, I don't honor God for the or else. I honor God because the yay factor. The parable there, you know, sitting at the foot of the table to me is, is, is a powerful imagery. Like, the idea there is that you're it's like, okay, whatever whatever gift you receive for, you know, you get pulled up closer to the head of the table, it's like, okay, well, cool, but that's not at all, like, the imagery there is like, you're just you're just excited to be in the presence. You're excited to give honor to the person holding the banquet. Yep. You're and you're not there. You're not thinking of yourself at all, right? Right. Which is the point counterpoint of going and sitting right at the at the head yourself and taking, you know, um, or, or trying to. Um, I don't know. I mean, the the getting getting sent to the end was kind of like the wage of the thing that you did. Right. Versus getting pulled to the front is a gift, right? So yeah. But even but even being in the room is a gift. You know, so, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Somebody read me verses nineteen to twenty one. Galatians five. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I apologize. because that was a funky little teaching moment. Now we're back to the edge. We're all this was an aside from Galatians. So do me a favor. Somebody read me Galatians 5, 19 through 21. I know I wasn't clear because I'm... 
So we read in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okie What kind of thematic sets do you see in these? Because a lot of times we read this as one big long list. But it's actually a bunch of sets. So tell me what the set, this first set is. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. It has to do with your body. Okay. Okay. Sensuality, body, whatever, however you want to go there. Okay. Idolatry and witchcraft. Regarding, what'd you say? No, spiritual unfaithfulness. I said other gods. Other gods. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Okay, in what particular way? Specifically towards other people, right? My hatred. What's discord? <laughs> yeah, and it's of course. Yeah, it's it's it's. I'll even say it, it, being disagreeable, because it, 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 I mean, it's here. It's more than just I didn't agree. Paul often didn't agree. But the idea was that if you are prone to being disagreeable, jealous of other people, fits of rage where you just temper tantrum and explode. It's like yeah, it's kind of like giving yourself to uh, what do you call it, like passions? You know, like just. Being, uh, I don't know. I, I, I put all this under the, the Kylo Ren kind of Kylo Ren. section. So many Star Wars references today. No, I almost even went to another Star Wars reference earlier when we were talking about this. But it's not that it's not that evil is necessarily stronger. It's not even necessarily stronger in you. It's just easier to slide into, right? Brownie points if you get the reference. But yeah, so you go. This is giving yourself over to sensuality. This is giving yourself over to other gods. This is giving yourself over to negative uh, passions against other people. What's this one? Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. It does, but there's a slight nuance. You can arguably put that in one. It's a little more subtle. It's like you're not blowing up emotionally, but your motives are still in the same place. This one also could theoretically be my feelings about other people. This one is arguably my feelings about myself. And so that there's part of the subtlety of it. It's like I have jealousy over there and envy over here. I mean, there's a subtle difference there in the Greek. But I mean, there's this idea of, of this is against them. This is what I want. And I'm going to organize things to get what I'm wanting in this picture. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Maybe I'll even ask. How's that last set different from the first set? Maybe they're just bookends. Maybe they're the same thing. Some people have said that. Same sort of sensuality. It's intemperateness. Not, not necessarily Excellent, yes. Um, prodigality, even. But the idea of going, this is specifically the sensuality, abandon to that. This is abandon. I mean, the debauchery, when we think of debauchery, we go, oh, that means orgies. No, debauchery means this emptiness to, to, to what you're doing. This is specifically talking about whatever. Like, I just do whatever. Reminds me of that. Uh... Uh, Roman emperor who threw this banquet and like, mm -hmm. showered flowers on people so much that they were like, killed by the excess mm -hmm. and everything. One could say nine-tenths of the Roman emperors. But yes, I mean, but that, that conscious excess, insanity of excess, um, hypothetically being a Roman, or being a, a French king who's so enamored with himself and so enamored with his own throne that he has a big solid gold throne built so heavy that it actually breaks to the floor and destroys the building. Yeah, stuff like that, stuff like that. How are 
each of these sets reflective of what it means to slavishly live according to what your sinful flesh just naturally wants to do. Can you see how in each of these, it's something where you go, this, this is just giving into your flesh. It is choosing this path instead of this one. Pick a set. Tell me how. Really the first one's easy. Every Christian understands why sexual immorality is evil. Evil. It's just throwing yourself into doing whatever you feel like doing with your sexuality. Horrible. Okay? Lost your chance? Pick another set. <laughs> I mean, some of these just all reflect the Ten Commandments in general. Like? Uh, I mean, idolatry and witchcraft. Oh, you went for the other easy one. Go ahead. No, yeah. Uh, I mean, just the idea of the first two commandments is honor God and uh, no one else. Right. Can idolatry, in modern age, in America, we don't have other gods. So we don't have to worry about this one, right? I've already alluded to one that Jesus specifically is going to mention in about an hour. <laughs> Money! Personal acquisition of wealth. Okay? You got three other sets. Pick one. Absolutely. And we live in an outrage culture. I mean, conservatives are quite certain that liberals are foul. Liberals are quite certain that conservatives are foul. You know, yeah, I mean, where we sit there and they go, well, you're not me. You don't have a star on your belly. You're not me. You have a star on your belly. And I am perfectly justified in hating you because of your star situation. You know, yeah, where we, we... And can you justify this in your own head? How, how so? How can you, as a Christian... Because as a Christian, you may not be able to justify worshiping Baal, okay? How can you, as a Christian, justify maybe hatred or discord or fits of rage or selfish ambition or factions? How can you justify that as a Christian? Because for some things, people's motives are not as obvious. And if people's motives are not as obvious, then it's hard to point to and say, that's wrong. Um, you can even you can even fool yourself into thinking you have the moral high ground, right? Just saw a video this week. Um, not even the one that I was referencing to you. But I just saw a video this week week on a college campus where somebody was screaming at somebody saying, "You you you guys are hateful uh, because you think homosexuality is bad. You 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 hate." Everybody who's different from you, I wish you would just burn in hell. I wish your mother had died before she gave birth to you. You hate her. Now, I don't know what instigated it. So I'm not good. There's only so far I can go into that one because I'm like, I don't know, maybe the guy was being hateful beforehand. Maybe he said horribly hateful things. But I'm pretty sure at the moment you say, I wish you burned in hell and I wish your mom had died before she gave birth to you, you hate her. I'm pretty sure you've self-justified your own hatred without even recognizing it. Have you ever, have you ever had a temper tantrum that you tried to talk about as being, you know, this is righteous indignation? I, I know I have. Um, I, go I was, to like as you were trying to do, bring it closer to home. Like, um, I've I've observed like the. People that, that I know are Christians and in most ways very lovely people. Um, like, um, I don't know, Facebook is an interesting <laughs> people, but the sometimes like go into these absolute rages over things. Things that they see as you know evil or unjust or anything, but the way it it, it turns into like this absolute vile against people, against the these you know lost people who are deceived, but it comes out as this like rage and disgust that not at not at the sin, but at the people and almost like. 
basically giving them up as lost. Like there's not even any hope for redemption anymore. And it's it's outright so, condemnation. Yeah, but, and they, not, but they think it's justifiable because exactly. they're they're they hate sin. And and sometimes piggybacking off of that, not just giving them up as lost, but saying, let them get yeah. lost. You know, let them die. I don't want this. And so, yeah, and there's, there's, and, and, and again, this comes from both sides of the thing. Because, and, and we can justify that by going, well, but we had to split because they're so horribly wrong. We had to come out from among them. We had to. Therefore, this divisiveness and this division and the dissensions and the factions, just how many kinds of Baptists are there in the world? Um, but and, uh, hold your thought for a second. Is that let's let's finish this up. Galatians five twenty two to twenty three. Somebody read that to me. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things there is no What's the distinction between referring to these lists as acts? of unrighteousness in verse 19 and fruit in verse 22. It's almost the same distinction as the wages of gifts thing. How so? <laughs> um, an act is something that you consciously do. A fruit is just the natural result. It's just something that comes. And it is a tangible thing. But you don't make a fruit come. Right. A fruit comes from a healthy plant, right? If you're a healthy plant, you're going to have fruit. It's what comes from this. How are these fruit of the Spirit living and growing in you? Because we just read through the Acts, and if you're anything like me, you unfortunately see your own actions in some of those. But we just get a list of the fruit. And if you're anything like me, you go, actually, yeah, I do see some of these in me. And I see others in these that I'm like, I'm not entirely certain I'm doing this, because since fruit naturally comes, right? Fruit naturally comes from a healthy plant. Yes? Yes. So orchard growers and farmers do nothing. <laughs> right? If it's the nature of a healthy plant to give fruit, nurturing is pointless, correct? Thank you. Yeah! <laughs> There's lots that you can do to facilitate the growth of healthy fruit. Is there stuff that you can do to facilitate not the health of growthy fruit? Often that's just Because the, <laughs> so, the default is, you know. But, but yeah, I mean, it's like, well, I want to remove the aphids. Well, I'm not going to worry about the aphids. Or, the, or, you know, pruning can be really helpful. Or you can chop off the new growth and go, well, we don't need that. Yes, you really did. <laughs> but I'm saying this incorrectly because in the Greek, it's not these fruit, it's this fruit. It's singular. Fruit is one of those wacky English words. You don't get to pick and choose. No. Why is that? That's a good point. Why is that important? How is that important that there's a singular fruit, not a plurality of fruits? These are not a plurality of fruits. I think, I think sometimes we, and I'm including myself in this, are, are tempted to see the fruits of the Spirit almost as... Um. Uh, uh, as, but like spiritual gifts. That's where I was like, going. Like, well, you know, I'm not very good at the self-control thing, but I'm I'm gentle and kind, so that's that's where where I'm fruited. Yeah. Well, because because with the spiritual gifts, Paul says you don't all have the same spiritual gift. Yeah. You don't all do this. You don't all prophesy. You don't all you know, have gifts of healing. You know, okay, fine. We go, right. My apples have no pulp. <laughs> but I got the seeds and I got the skin. I got that little stem that's connected to the tree. <laughs> Yours has pulp, but no skin. We're both healthy in our own way. <laughs> I mean, it's not like we're plums. I may not be an apple you can eat. Fine. <laughs> I'm being facetious, but isn't that the way we think? Yeah. I'm really good. Like, like she was saying, I'm really good. I am so 
good at being kind to people. I am remarkably faithful. I have no joy whatsoever. I don't need pulp in my apple. You go, I'm sorry. There's a gazillion ways you can do this wrong. But if you are living in the nature you actually now have, gauge your health by looking at this and going, is this your fruit? Singular. Are you in an apple tree? Yeah. How are your apples? Well, parts of Do you have healthy apples? Well, I mean, kind of up for interpretation, isn't it? No, actually it's not. But yes, there's a gazillion things you could do wrong. And I'm not going to say there's only one thing you can do right, because that's missing the point. There's a gazillion ways that you can mess this up. But he's like, all of these just come naturally if you're living in your new nature. We keep talking about this constant battle. But when it really comes down to it, you go, this is all the wages of things you've earned. And he goes, this is a gift. It's a gift. Every step down this path is a gift. These, there's a gazillion ways you can screw this up. If you're living in your new nature, these should just naturally come. Are you choking some of these out? Stop that, you bad orchard guard. <laughs> Nurture a little bit. We tend to go, oh, yes, I need to beat myself. We need to work on it. But everything, even, even though Paul is using extremely intense examples, it's still being presented as, this is stuff that is the default, but you're making choices and you're making actions to go here. This is the new default of your new nature. Just feed that. Feed that. If you see anything in this fruit that you go, I'm not doing that. Don't do what, what we're talking Don't say, well, but I've got nine out of ten. That's not healthy. Most of my body isn't cancer-ridden. Well, then you have cancer. Only in part. Then you have cancer. That's, that's what that means. You might want to get that looked at. No, 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 it's only in my brain. No, you really want to get that looked at. You understand? So looking this over, people will tend to look at it and go, gentleness, self-control. We see this in a very passive sense. Do you see how Paul's saying this in a very active sense? Remember, gentleness is, when you're talking about kindness, we're talking about like put up with this, right? A very active, not going to beat you with a stick. You know, it's like, I want to beat you with a stick, and I'm not going to beat you with a stick. Why? Because I'm being gentle that way. You know, it's, I'm saying in a silly term, but it is an active decision, right? Kindness is an active decision. Self-control is like, well, I'm not going to just go off and do whatever. I'll just quietly do nothing. No, it's actively, consciously controlling yourself and saying, I need to make sure I'm pointing in the right direction. All these things. Joy. You go, well, it's just a warm, fuzzy feeling. No, joy is consciously saying, I'm deciding, I'm right with the Lord, I know I'm in the right place, and I trust Him in this, and I can get through this. I have pneumonia, I'm uncomfortable, life is hard, I'm not happy, but I have joy, and that's an active, conscious sort of thing. These are not passive things. They do come naturally from growing in the Lord, but they require nurture, right? Very active. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to end with that and just say because uh, I, I want to be able to move on. With it. Other than to end with him saying, you you need since you have this new nature to actively keep in step with the spirit, which is an interesting turn of phrase. He's like, I'm not saying get yourself the spirit, work 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 to make a spirit. You know, you can't do that. What what mental image do you get from that phrase? Keep in step with the spirit. Check in with it. Okay. I was just saying, you say like plan a, planting an orchard. You're planting the word of God in your mind. You are doing the conscious thing of that you are um, living for Him, not for sin. When, Absolutely. When, when I hear keep, keep in stuff with, I think of like when you're in a marching band or marching as an army, to keep in stuff. As a group, you have to be constantly paying attention to the steps of the person next to you, and that um, 
to let your to stop paying attention to it is to be out of step and so like keeping our focus on Christ is how how we keep in step it's that keeping that connection well, if you remember when we talk about discipleship, the word discipleship in, in scripture, discipling, literally is talking about step where I step, walk where I walk. Um, and, and with this, he's saying, walk where the Spirit walks. You don't have to set the pace. Just walk where the Spirit walks. The Spirit's walking and going, walk with me. He's living with you. And he's saying, walk with me. All right? I mean, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm in you. I'm with you. I'm interacting with you. I am discipling you. Just walk where I walk. It is being presented as an action, and yet it's not based on you. It's just your choice to do what the Spirit is already working in you. So, why wouldn't you do that? Everything in Paul comes down to that. It's just like, this is not just sinful and immoral. It's dumb. Why would you do this? It's toxic. It's self-destructive. This is your new nature. Do this. Let this be the new natural. It's not a thousand different decisions a day. How I'm supposed to handle you know, conflict, how I'm supposed to handle uh, disappointment, how I'm supposed to handle... It's one decision. What's the Spirit saying? How am I honoring God in this? How do I respond to this? This is, this is one question, one decision. My yoke is easy and my burden is Which, depending on how you take that, is either the dumbest verse in Scripture, because you go, you can't, Jesus tells us to do lots of different things, he's a lot of you. One thing. And he says, and I'll help you carry it. One thing, and I'll help you carry it. I think about uh, the imagery in the King Wenceslas. I thought so that too. In his master steps he trod. Oh, good. Excellent. Anyway, he's, it's, it's just walking in the steps that were already made for him. Yeah. Right in front of him. Yep. So, the, so what what the page was to do was just don't lay down, don't go back to the castle, and don't wander off in the snow by yourself. Yeah. Just just walk in the steps that I'm making. Because it's safe. Why wouldn't you? Let's close with that. Dear Lord, thank you so much. We know it makes so much sense to us to go off on our own trails. Whether because that's what Americans do, or just because that's what people do, because Paul's writing to not Americans. Lord, there's so many different times that we we like to think that that it's okay to sin, or it's just neutral to sin, or it's just neutral not to care about what you're. Lord, I pray, help us to genuinely care all the time, as one conscious, continual decision, over and over and over again during the day, and help us to give you glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.